Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I am Maryam Ismail and welcome to another episode of your show in conversation with. I am today with a very special guest and I'm very happy to have this interview with him today. So uh, he used to live a, a very exciting lifestyle full of money, fame, subhanallah, but he decided to come to Islam, subhanallah, I'm very excited to uh, share with you his amazing story. Brother Amir Muhaddad, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. I'm just excited. You know, a lot has transpired, you know, since this tour in the UK started in February 14th. My last talk was last night in Masjid Tawheed. And I just, I'm just, you know, I'm just grateful. You know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me the opportunity, you know, to establish a connection with this generation. You know, although, you know, my generation has proceeded, you know, decades ago, but to still be received, you know, just, I'm in just a state of, you know, just thankfulness and gratitude. Alhamdulillah. That's amazing when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decide to change someone's heart. Absolutely. It's amazing, isn't it? So, uh, Brother Amir, I first met you in uh, Yasin Youth Center a couple of days before, and you delivered a, an amazing speech to, to youth. How did that go? Well, the thing is, I've learned that if you can establish, you know, tangibility, things that people can actually see, you know, taste or touch, it becomes a lot more impactful. So, in these talks, I've tried to establish some transparency that, you know, those who come to hear me speak can see things that actually come from themselves. So, for example, like I would ask questions like, you know, how many of y'all were born and raised Muslim? And you will see, like, the vast majority raise their hands. And you also ask questions like, how many were born, I mean, you know, how many of you grew up with both your parents? You see the vast majority raise their hands. So what that establishes is a certain tangibility that evens out the playing field for the youth who do inspire to do the things that their parents instill with them, you know, instill in them. And then you also establish for the youth that are curious about things that's contrary to what their parents teach. And I think it evens out the playing field to where the youth have an opportunity or ability to see, like, look, I'm blessed, like I'm favored, you know what I'm saying? I was born and raised under the security of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at both my parents. So now, without exposing any of their shortcomings or any of their curiosities, doubts or you know, whatever, they're able to see it. So I, I wanted to take the approach of trying to cut into this generational gap that we have with you know, the generation that preceded this generation. And I think that you know, by Allah's permission, I was successful in establishing that, you know. Alhamdulillah. Um, so, um, you know, every person has always this dream to have a life uh, full of money, of course. All of us, yeah. we want money. We like money. We yeah. like fame. And But um, my question for you is, you had all of that before. Mm -hmm. Money, the excitement, fame, people loved you, you were mega famous, you were very successful in your career. So why have you decided to come to Islam? You were not happy by the lifestyle you had? 
Well, the thing is, first and foremost, you know, society has raised a certain barometer to what success is. Versus Islam, we know what true success is. So prior to me accepting Islam, I was immersed in what society depicted to be success. And when I was able to acquire that, you know, on the way up, you know, I was simultaneously going down. So, for example, you know, you start to acquire all of these things, like you mentioned, fame, wealth, all the accolades that come with the success that I acquired in the music business. But at the same time, I was losing pieces of myself. I was finding myself more subjected to this very game that I thought was a platform for me to escape the harsh realities of the street. But in all actuality, it only magnified everything that I had thought I left. So at that point, any human being instinctively starts to search for a remedy. You don't know what that remedy is, but you know that you have some sickness or some type of deterrence that's impeding you from, you know, establishing, you know, a quality of life that, that's normal. So I started to travel the world and by law's decree, I started to bump into Islam. Mm. Uh, there is, uh, sorry to cut you off, mm -hmm. but I really want to share with the viewers what you really felt with all of the wealth you had. But was it something in your heart? Like some empty space in your heart Absolutely, you felt? How was it exactly? Well, the thing, the emptiness comes from once you achieve everything that you set out to achieve, there's really no plan B. You know what I'm saying? So this emptiness starts to sit in. Some, some, most people in that state fall into a state of depression because you kind of reach your ceiling. Only thing left is who made the Forbes last year. So it becomes a, 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 a kind of a pissing contest about who acquired the most wealth but as far as all of the things that come with that, everyone has had their share. So for me, like I said, I started to realize that, you know, there wasn't no longevity in this. You know, at some point you come to the determination, like, I can't do this forever. This is not something that's going to be, you know, repetitive in my life if there's nothing else to achieve, nothing else to acquire. And at this point, I'm only subjecting myself to a business to maintain relevancy and to maintain being validated by your peers in the business and the people that receive your music. So that's not normal. Mm, so you know? was it like you're losing your freedom being in that kind of Absolutely. industry? And freedom more so meaning your soul. Because the very thing that sustains us all, if you lose that, you have nothing. So everything else becomes a shell. Everyone on the outside looking in, they're looking at something that's perceived to be, you know, some form of accomplishment. But internally, you know, you don't feel accomplished. So mm -hmm. that's where, you know, that, that pivotal moment comes when you start to reach for something to suffice that particular thing. So even before coming to Islam, you were thinking about a solution for, let's say, like kind of a sadness in your heart? Absolutely. I was looking for something to help me manage the fact that I'm not in control anymore. I don't control, you know, the, 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 the vast majority of my, my life. 
You know, for example, like if a record, a, a, rec, a, um, a radio station invites me to come to the radio station and I don't show up, they don't play my record. So it's not really an invitation. You understand? It's like something that you're subjected to. Because if you don't, the consequences is the very thing that you're trying to maintain. So when you start seeing that happen consistently in different areas of the business, you start to realize I'm not in control anymore. I am basically subjected to entertain people, even if all of these accolades and all of these trinkets and all of these toys, you know what I'm saying, supposed to be my reward. But these things don't mean nothing if I don't have control over my very self, you know? Mm, that's very deep. Yeah. And then what happened exactly? How did you come to Islam? How did you discover it, first of all? Well, the thing is, a part of my own success, it was also coupled with being in the shadow of, you know, Sean Combs or P. Diddy, Puff Daddy. You know, he has numerous names. But everything that he accomplished in the business, you know, was just, you know, coupled with the things that I started to establish for myself. So now I'm being subjected to my own fame. And at the same time, I'm being, you know, included in the success of another individual. So at that point, I felt like the only logical way to lighten up the load is to separate myself from doing business with Sean Combs. So now, with that being said, I set out to achieve something on my own. I had this motivation that I was gonna go prove to the world that everything that I accomplished under the banner of this record company, I can do it myself. You know what I'm saying? I wrote a lot of successful records. I appeared on a lot of big stages. I did a lot of you know great songs and videos with a lot of big artists. But it, I was setting out to do the same thing all over again for myself because this is all I knew. But as I started traveling the world, I started bumping into Islam, you know? And I think that instinctively, through the course of all that and me simultaneously trying to find a remedy, I think that there was one component of my senses that kept picking up you know what I'm saying, this remedy or remnants of this remedy while I'm still in this direction of chasing dunya. Well, when, when you first discovered Islam, what really attracted you and told you this could be a sort of remedy for what I'm going through inside? It was a combination of things. Because I think the initial thing that every African American in America carries is, you know, just the dis, di disenfranchisement you know what I'm saying, of being an African-American or being black in America. So the first place that I visit was a country named Senegal, you know what I'm saying? In Senegal, you know, I visited a place called Gory Island. And long story short, you know, the conclusion of that trip and that visit to Gory Island, which was the first slave houses ever built in West Africa, I was told the story of the 60 million slaves that passed through there, but the 6 million that never left the soil because they fought and died. So when I learned what was the, the, the motivation behind you know, their stance, it was because they chose not to submit to no one other than God. So at that point, I was stripped of the nationalism that sustained me in America 
because the only thing we had was our heritage, was our ancestry. These are the only things we were able to maintain through you know, the course of the transatlantic slave trade and racism in America. So that first thing removed a huge layer away from that emptiness I was feeling or that confusion that I was feeling. Then secondly, I traveled to Kazakhstan, which is in Middle Eastern Asia, you know, in Russia. And <clears throat> that experience brought in my understanding of the diversity of the Muslims in this land. Because living in New York, I was only limited to maybe three different demographics. You know what I'm saying? I knew about the Yemenis, you know, that had their business, you know, the, 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 the local grocery stores. Most of the Pakistanis in, you know, New York, they were either like doctors or in some type of medical space or they owned most of the pharmacies. And then the West African brothers, they owned all the car, you know, the delivery, car services and so on and so forth. So that was the scope of my understanding of the different demographic of Islam. So when I went to Kazakhstan, I was just blown away that these people were Muslim as well. You know, and they had like oriental features, you know, because I think they did descendants of Mongolians and so on and so forth. So, and then the conclusion was when I went to the UAE. So mass media and media in general has always gave a negative, you know, saying depiction of the Muslims, preferably the Arabs. So for me to land in the UAE and see such wealth and prosperity, there was an abundance amongst a country that's predominantly Arab, that just concluded everything for me. You didn't know about that before? I didn't know nothing about that before. Like that, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know. They have a statistic that, I think something about 42% of Americans never met a Muslim, you know what I'm saying? So there's still this, this, this empty space of not knowing that still remains to be filled in the mm -hmm. correct manner. So for me being a victim of that and having Allah show me these things, void of anybody ever talking to me about Islam, no one ever gave me a book to read on Islam, no one ever invited me to a conference where Islam was being taught. So this was Allah showing me Islam, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I was going in a direction mm -hmm. that was contrary to everything he was showing me. A completely different lifestyle. Completely different lifestyle. And to answer your question, what inspired me the most throughout all of that was the Muslims. How was that? Because, like I said, when I was in Senegal, not only my visit to Gory Island struck a chord with me, I actually seen a man praying, and I never really saw the Muslims pray. I was that engulfed in my lifestyle that I've never seen a Muslim pray. And I've actually met high-level Muslims, you know, princes and stuff like that, but they were all doing the same things that I was doing in the music business. So I never seen anything other than what I was already accustomed to. Mm -hmm. So I remember one day I was visiting somebody's house in Senegal, and we was going up the stairs, and, she, and they was telling me, like, yo, step around the man. Because I seen him putting his face on the floor, and I kind of thought that was odd. Like, what's wrong with him? Is he eating off the floor? I didn't know what it was. But he was actually praying. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. When I was in Muscat, Oman, the first time I ever heard the event, I just froze. We were actually walking, and I just froze. Why? And what, what, what did you feel exactly? What I felt was, at that time, me being in the music business and thinking I heard everything. I've never heard anything like that in my life. 
and there wasn't an instrument involved. It wasn't no studio enhancement. It was the actual human voice mm -hmm. calling people to something other than the things that my music and music in general calls to. So that's like impactful in itself. You know what I'm saying? For anybody that's listening with sincere ears and a sincere heart. So when I heard the adhan for the first time, I just froze in my tracks. SubhanAllah. Just the adhan. Just the adhan. And, and, you know, not to expose any faults of the brothers that, you know, were hosting me at the time. When I asked him what it was, he told me that's the call of prayer. And I looked at him like, you not going? Because I was asking him to see if he was going to invite me to come along. You know what I'm saying? It mm -hmm. wasn't even so much of me trying to mm -hmm. regulate his obligation to respond to it. I was like, yo, like you're not going? You were eager to discover more. I was more. eager to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he had told me that, you know, he was drinking alcohol so his prayers don't get answered for 40 days. And I'm saying it, I mean, I know that now. But at the time, it sounded like the most lamest excuse. When you hear something that beautiful, you understand? Yeah. You're going to avoid that because you took a sip of alcohol? So I just like, mm -hmm. just dismissed it as he did. But it never escaped me, you know? So that's what I'm saying. All of these things, I never was exposed to it in, in, in America. Mm -hmm. Never. And, uh, and then what happened? What was the critical moment you decided to discover more, to go deep in the understanding and then to convert to Islam? Well, the critical moment was, was in Dubai. Then we left Dubai by car to Abu Dhabi, which is like a two hour, maybe two and a half hour ride. So when we arrived at the Emirates Palace, which at the time was the only seven star hotel in the world, I, I went to the hotel, set my bags down, and I remember opening up the, the, the balcony and looking off the balcony and I saw the sun rising over the Arabian Sea. Now, in my lifestyle, I never paid any attention to the sun and the moon. You know what I'm saying? Because in my lifestyle, the sun, when the sun is out, we sleep. The moon is out, we party. And that was it. So you're thinking like 23 days from now is the month of Ramadan. We won't initiate fasting until we sight the moon. So the significance of the moon or the sun was insignificant to me. But at that very moment, I was witnessing something that I took for granted probably the vast majority of my life. And when I saw that, something just changed. And for the life of me, and Allah is my witness, every time I'm asked about this experience, I still haven't been able to conjure up words to explain exactly what happens when the heart changes. I can tell you things that surround the moment. I can tell you where I was what time it was, what direction I was facing. But anyone that has the ability to explain, when Allah changes your heart, this is not a surgery done by man. You know what I'm saying? This is not dietary supplements and stuff like that to change your condition. This is the one that created you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And by his wisdom and by his mercy, changed everything in my heart in that moment. And I knew from that moment that I wanted to be Muslim. So I ran down to the lobby of the hotel and the first Muslim I found, I told him I wanted to be Muslim. SubhanAllah, just like that. Just like that. Because it's like when your heart is pulsating, you you feel like if I don't hurry up and suffice it, I'm going to lose it. It's like any type of anxiety. 
Mm -hmm. If I don't hurry up, I'm, you know, so it was in a rush. And I haven't met a Muslim yet that said they ever experienced somebody run up to them out of desperation and say, I want to be Muslim. But this actually was me. So I ran up on the brother and asked him, you know, I want to be Muslim. He looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, I want to be Muslim. He said, well, you should. I said, yo, stop playing. Like, you know, I was anxious. I want to be Muslim. So he told me, okay, simple. Just, you know, raise your arm and your hand, you know, and repeat Shahada. after me. Mm. And I repeated everything he said. And when I finished, he said, Khalas, you Muslim. And I, and I was stuck. Because for one, I felt something removed. I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. But the simplicity of that, I didn't understand. So I questioned him. I was like, you sure? He said, no, Alhamdulillah, you Muslim. And in my mind, I'm like, nothing in my life has ever been this simple. I grew up in the streets of New York. I grew up without my parents. My grandparents raised me, you understand? I indulged in all kinds of things that was prevalent and widespread in my community from drugs, violence, everything. Everything was always a hardship. Everything was always a trial. At that very moment, the simplicity of that testimony, the simplicity of the changing of the heart, the simplicity of having that weight removed off me, and all of that was implemented from a mere testimony, I was in a state of awe. And Your mind couldn't accept it. I couldn't. I, I couldn't process it mentally. Mm. Emotionally, I felt suffice. But mentally, I was just trying to make sense of it. And I remember telling him, like, you sure? Like, do we, um, don't you need to go get the outfit now? Like, don't you have to dip me in the water? He was like, no, nah, Alhamdulillah, you're Muslim. So from that moment to this very day, the simplicity of Islam is what continues to keep me firm upon this favor that Allah has bestowed upon me by guiding me to this blessed religion without no one speaking to me about Islam, no one offering me any insight, no one inviting me to a place where Islam was taught. So, you know, as compelling as it may sound, I believe that every revert story is amazing. You know, mm -hmm. I just share mine hoping that it encourages two things. That the Muslim is reminded of how blessed they are to have Islam, and that the fear factor is when Allah guides someone to Islam, you should be fearful that Allah guided this person for the purpose of replacing you, for being negligent with your Islam. I would like you to say some words for people who are watching you now and enjoying uh, watching your story. Uh, Muslims or non-Muslims, what do you, would you like to say to them? I would like to say that Whenever the heart feels constricted, you know, and things become unclear and you become overwhelmed with doubt, it's instinctive for us to turn to our natural disposition of understanding that there's only one creator, the heavens and the earth and everything in between. I would say to the Muslim and to the non-Muslim, don't neglect that. Don't neglect that feeling. Investigate what you know already because your Lord, by his mercy, he created you to know who he is. Despite what you've been taught. You know that when all else fails and you went through your Rolodex from A to Z, there's nowhere else to go. So just skip all of that. Go straight to the source. 
And if Allah wants good for you, he'll guide you to this blessed deen of Islam. You know, and if he doesn't choose guidance for you, then there is no guidance for you. Beautiful words, uh, Brother Amir. Go to the source. And with that, we come to the end of our show. What an inspiring story. I hope you enjoyed uh, our interview with Brother Amir Muhaddith. Thank you, thank you again to do this interview with us. All the best. Thank you. And uh, thank you, our viewers. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.